Welcome back to the WWIA Podcast. We hope you're enjoying this special podcast series on the John McDaniel story. If you are, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast service. Let's learn more about John's military service as we dive into part three and four, his first assignment, Panama with the 75th Rangers with a special add-on story at the end. Okay, I'm back with you here. All right, so I want to talk about uh, my first assignment. Uh, 4th Battalion, 6th Infantry, 5th ID, it's a mouthful, 465 ID. And uh, it's my first unit as a lieutenant. I show up, as you know, as a ranger, and uh, second lieutenant, I'm sorry, first lieutenant, because I had uh, gotten promoted, actually got promoted uh, while I was in ranger school. But nobody told me that. I got a, I, I remember they had a bag full of mail, you know, a box full of mail or something for me. And I, you know, flipping through it and there's a, oh, you know, when I got out of ranger school, you know, I took a little leave, went home, went fishing with my dad and this kind of thing. And then I was reading the mail that I got and there's a, you know, official uh, notification from the United States Army that congratulations, you've been promoted to first lieutenant. So, um, I non-ceremoniously promoted myself. <laughs> I promoted myself to first lieutenant. I will never forget him. I just bought the rank and put it on and like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, <laughs> I love it. So I promoted myself without uh, fanfare to first lieutenant and showed up to my first unit. And I was assigned to uh, Charlie Company 4-6 Infantry uh as a second lieutenant or i'm sorry first lieutenant you know but uh, but a right a rifle platoon leader and it was a mechanized unit with m113s and my first company commander was a guy by the name of don towers and and uh, you know uh, i was learning how to be a, a, a an infantry lieutenant and that was all going real well and um i did that for a year that's pretty customary but then one day don towers the captain the, my co pulls me aside and he says you know uh Colonel Steiger's uh, pretty pretty high on you. And I go, what, what do you mean, sir? He's like, well, you know, he's uh, he's looking at you to be his next uh, scout platoon leader. And for those of you that don't know, being a scout platoon leader in a battalion of you know some sixteen lieutenants, um, you know, is the the scout platoon leader is is usually the fair-haired child. At least we always joke about it, saying the fair-haired child of the battalion, but. You know, you get selected. It's a nominate. You know, you get nominated and selected by the battalion commander to be the scout. There's only one scout platoon leader, and that's the battalion commander's eyes and ears. So they give that usually to you know the most outstanding lieutenant or the one that has proven himself, uh, you know, to be good enough to be that to get that job. There's a lot of independence that goes with it, and it's a second opportunity to lead troops. All right. So I went from being platoon leader to platoon leader, but scout platoon leader. Okay. So outstanding, right? Super. And I was just you know. Tickled, tick, tickled pink that, that, that he thought that much. And by the way, Colonel Steiger's gone now. Bill Steiger, Wild Bill, he was a he was a Vietnam veteran, and um, he was also a ranger instructor. And um, and and Colonel Steiger, I, you know, I I really I admired him of all the leaders uh, that I ever served for. I would have to put him, you know, in the top in the top two. You know, he was a great man. Uh, like I said, he's he's now passed. Uh, but he trained that battalion to go to combat. It was his battalion. And I'll talk about that in a little bit when we went to combat. But, um, you know, it was his battalion. He was a great dude. 
phenomenal leader, and, and he had in his office, um, when we would pull charger quarters or CQ, the lieutenants had to stay up all night long. But he was like, if you guys want to go in my office and sleep on my leather couch, you can do it. You know, it's a long night. It's all right. It's not a problem. It was customary because out front, you know, they got the, the, the charger quarters, the NCO. You know, um, I, I don't know if he said that we could, but we all sort of did. You know, there's a slip, you know, it would be at two, maybe at two o'clock in the morning, you know, from two to four before the old man showed up. You know, you get a couple hours of wink, shut eye on his couch or something. But um, in his office, he had um, a black beret on a mannequin's head. It was his black beret when he was a, a, a ranger instructor. And I was like, oh boy, you know, I, I thought to myself, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get back to the to you know to the I'm I'm gonna go wear a black bra I'm gonna be a ranger. Well, you're a ranger, you know, your ranger qualified doesn't qualify you to be to wear a black beret. To wear a black beret back at the time, and then you know you had to be in a, assigned to a ranger battalion. And there was only three of those, or the ranger training brigade. Um, but you know, I wanted to go and be a real ranger in the ranger regiment. That's what I wanted to do. And I remember saying to him at one point, actually, I said it to him twice. I remember, I remember his re reaction both times. But when he made me a scout, I thought, okay, this is the opportunity. When, when there was a, a time to do that, I said, um, I said, uh, hey, sir, you know, I, um, I really want to be a ranger. And, and, he, and he looked at me and he's like, you be a good scout first, okay? And like, uh, yes, sir. So, <laughs> you know, and I was, I was, I think I was a, I was really, uh, you know, good scout platoon leader for him. I enjoyed that job. It gave me a great deal of freedom, you know, scouts out. And, and the best, uh, you know, the best guys in the battalion gravitated towards the, the scout platoon. There was 19 Deltas and there was also, um, you know, infantrymen, mostly 19 Deltas. And those are scouts, you know, they're trained to sneak and peek. And that's what scouts do. You know, scouts go out um, forward of everybody and they collect data, uh, you know, on the on the on the enemy and they report back as the eyes and ears to the battalion commander. So there's a lot of tricky stuff going on in that space. And um, so I was fortunate enough to be his his scout platoon leader. And, um, you know, by the way, I remember one time we went out to Pinion Canyon, Colorado on a, on an exercise I'll tell you a quick Wild Bill uh, story, uh, Steiger in memory of that uh, amazing American. And um, so, so we're at Pinion Canyon training, falling in. We fell in on this reserve or guard unit that was out there. Um, we were evaluating them as the, as the uh, you know active duty dudes uh, looking at a reserve or National Guard unit that was out there running their one one threes around. And, uh, you know, biting off way more than they can chew, if you will. And um, anyway, Colonel Steiger called all, you know, guidons, guidons, which is all company commanders and the scout to a, to a, a, a you know, a, a rendezvous point uh, in the middle of the desert on a, on a hilltop. And um, this is standard practice, you know, happens, excuse me, not infrequently, you know, guidons, guidons, and then you know, a cacked up location where you had to go meet them immediately. So we did that. And I got there first because, you know, I am the scout and I should be there first. And the other commanders were in route. It was just Colonel Steiger and I looking out over this great divide on the desert in Pinion Canyon, Colorado. And um, there's a slight pregnant pause. But, you know, you got to understand that I'm a scout platoon leader. I'm a lieutenant. That's a battalion commander, a lieutenant colonel who's been in combat in Vietnam. And, um, you know, I mean, the huge amount of respect and you have to very careful. I was very mindful of what I said, 
um, and what I didn't say, but I, I, I took liberty and I, I asked him, I said, uh, I said, hey, sir, do you mind if I ask you a question? He's like, what's that, Scout? I said, um, how come it is that uh, some guys that came back from Vietnam were just, you know, all screwed up and other guys, you know, um, seemingly are, you know, are, are okay? And, uh, you know, he pauses for a quick second and he says, well, I reckon it's, uh, you know, combat, it's this, you know. Combat makes uh, strong men stronger and weak men weaker. And I was like, yeah, yes, sir. You know, and I thought about that. You know, and and I I think you know I think there's there there's some truth to that. You know, but I don't want to I don't, don't want to get too far into it. I just thought you know that's one thing that I remember him saying that really you know stuck with me. But uh, anyway, so you know here here we are. Uh, you know, Steiger trains this battalion. Uh, I'm a scout platoon leader. You know, this time frame is it's 1989. Okay, and I'm in Fort Polk, Louisiana. I'm on my second platoon. I'm the scout platoon leader, and we're downrange in Lees, Leesville, Louisiana. Okay, this is the closest city to where uh, Fort Polk is, and uh, it is not much of a city, um, but uh, you know it's uh, you know got lots of. Uh, uh, pawn shops and 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 um, things like this, you know, liquor stores, <laughs> sporting goods stores, and 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 this kind of thing. And um, we're all at a discotheque. All of us, you know, I say all of us. I mean, the lieutenants, you know, my little band of merry men. And uh, you know, we're at a, we're at a night night night. It's Friday night or Saturday night, you know. And when we're at a disco, you know, and the music's going and the lights are playing and we're doing what any other lieutenant would do, which is, you know, drink beer and, and, and probably cause a little trouble, you know? And so all of a sudden, you know, the music stops and over the loudspeaker, this dude goes, if you're in the four, six infantry report to base immediately, if you are in the four, six infantry report to base immediately, and then the music starts again <laughs> and we're looking at each other like, okay, so we don't even pass go. We just get in our car and our cars and drive to base. And they lock us down. They put us in a room, you know, and they say, uh, you know, uh, go home, get your kit, and come straight back here because we're deploying. And they're like, uh, okay. And um, they, that was it, you know. And the next thing you know, you know, we're uh, we're heading to Panama. And um, when you get to Panama and, uh, you know, we, you know, it's, it's surreal. We dig this, we dig this Vietnam base style base out of, out of the middle of nowhere in a jungle. They got these big bubbles where people are, 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 you know, they're like big balloon bubbles where people are staying and the, you know, bunkers and locking fields of fire, concertina wire everywhere, sandbags is, you know, shoulder high. I mean, it's a real compound and we build this thing in, in out of the middle of nothing. And, um, and our tracks are down there. And the next thing you know, we're like, um, we're exercising our rights under the Panama, under the, you know, Panama Canal Treaty, you know, running around doing things uh, that uh, we were authorized to do, given given the you know the Panama Canal Treaty that we uh, signed, uh, you know, years previous to that, and um, and man, well, Antonio Noriega is um, you know a thorn in the administration's side.
and and long story short um you know uh, things escalate and uh, a couple guys get killed a, a marine in particular and um the next thing you know uh it's uh you know it's on like donkey kong and i want to say it was the 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 19th or the 20th of december uh, in 1989, when we crossed the line of departure and went into combat, and um, you know, I was a scout platoon leader assigned with a you know very specific uh, mission at first, you know, to uh, support uh, the assault on Fort Amador. Uh, I was cross attached to a uh, an airborne battalion who uh, air assaulted into uh, Fort Amador, and uh, we were to uh, de- defeat a. Uh, a Panamanian Defense Force and block the Macho de Monte, which is their special forces dudes, from reinforcing. And and so, you know, long story short, um, <laughs> you know, as I'm thinking back on that moment, we were, um, and there's lots to talk, because I could just do a whole podcast on, on, on this this experience that I had, but um, I, you know, here I've got six 113s, uh, armored personnel carriers. I'm the scout platoon leader. They attach a platoon led by uh, Billy Woods, God bless him, a West Point officer, is a friend, a very good friend of mine, who was assigned to me, um, and that was Team Scout. So I had um, these ITVs, improved tow vehicles, with a big hammerhead that shot a, a, a tank defeating round. Uh, out of its, out of its, you know, um, out of its turret head, and um, you know there was three of those and six one one threes, and you know it, it, when we went rolling down the hit, down the road, and you saw this thing moving, you would be like, yeah, that scares shit off a shovel, you know. <laughs> it was a serious, it was a serious combat team, and and um, so anyway, um, you know we do the assault. But instead of, you know, kicking off at whatever time, you know, H hour was, which is hit time, we're in our assembly area at Fort Amador getting ready to, you know, move into our our attack positions. And um, we start receiving fire, you know, I mean, and and so you talk about, you know, following the plan and then, you know, sort of not following the plan. You know, like, you know, we're taking effective fire right now in our assembly area. You know, it's like 15, 20 minutes. Don't don't quote me on that. But before we were supposed to cross the line of departure and get into our attack positions and support the assault. And I'm like, guys are looking at me. I'm looking at them, you know, like we got to get out of here. You know, so we we rolled and we just rolled. We got and we kicked off the assault early. Um, and, and it was an ex, it was a successful mission. Um, and, um, you, you know, I remember at the last minute this, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this story, you know, I don't want to get too much into the details of the whole thing, but, um, you know, the, the, one of the things that stuck, stuck out and there's lots of things that stick out in my mind, but, um, you know, one of them was uh at the last minute like you know here we were in country for like like seemed like three months before we went hot you know maybe it's at least a couple months you know so they had plenty of time to to to, you know share this plan with us but they didn't for what they call operation security or opsec reasons so we were kept like mushrooms in the dark i mean we all kind of knew what we were there to do right you know that oust noriega and defeat the pdf okay got it but you know some of those (laughs) there's a lot of details in there that we probably ought to you know be rehearsing and thinking about 
but nonetheless they didn't share it with us until you know and they wrote read me in in a top secret you know the last minute like 24 hours before they lock me in this room they make me swear to jesus i'll never say anything about this you know and 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 sign my life away and and, and here's here's the top secret plan this is what we're going to do but you can't tell anybody until like three hours before i'm like okay <laughs> you just gotta love it like oh my god man we've been here for three months you know, I'm ordering guys into combat, and I got three hours to plan this. And oh, by the way, we want you to infiltrate a small team behind enemy lines and take out a Dishka gun to protect the, uh, you know, the uh, the AC-130s and the the little gunships that that the Delta Force is flying around. Yeah, they didn't use that word. Okay, so you know that's what happened. But anyway, um, as they assault the Commandancy and, and rescue Kurt Muse for any, you know, who who. Uh, was being held in the Carson Modelo prison. That's another story. But anyway, so um, I'm like, okay, Roger that. So now I got to tell, th- I got to pick three guys. Okay, and here's the thing: got to pick three guys out of my platoon and give them a top secret mission to infiltrate behind enemy lines across, you know, this open field to get back down by the 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 fifth MP, uh, you know, headquarters, the PDF. Where there's a Dishka gun, and, and which is a is an anti-aircraft gun, and 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 to take that gun out is the that's their mission. Okay, so I'm thinking to myself, I gotta pick three guys. Well, you gotta pick your best three guys. A guy once told me, listen, if you gotta give up a platoon, if you gotta give up a squad, if you gotta give up a battalion, you give them your best. You don't, you know, you you give the best you have, even though it's gonna hurt, right? So I thought, who are my best three guys? So I picked my best three guys. And I call him Team Scarface, okay? <laughs> I think Scarface, the movie with Al Pacino, had just recently come out, so it was Team Scarface. And um, these three guys, these three great Americans, I pull them into this room, I sit them down, I put a guard out front, and I go, listen, I'm going to give you a top-secret mission, and you three are going to execute it. Well, one of the guys smoked cigarettes, which was not uncommon. You know, lots of guys smoked back then. But the other two didn't smoke. But by the time I was about halfway through the order I was giving them, they were all smoking. I think I probably was too. You know, I remember one of them just, you know, hitting on the cigarette. And looking at me, you know, with squinty eyes like, are you shitting me, Lieutenant? You're telling me I got to infiltrate behind enemy lines, you know, and take out this gun? (laughs) And I have to leave in like 30 minutes. You know, I mean, that's the reality of it. So, hey, that's sobering, right? Think about that. Think about that. I mean, think about the guy, the guys that got to do it, but think about the guy that's got to issue the orders. You know, I mean, it's it's you, unless you've been in that position, you just don't know. You know, you know. And bottom line is, they went back there and just did phenomenal, phenomenal. Okay, and they got back. Nobody got hurt. They accomplished the mission, and I put them in for bronze stars, and they were denied. I just thought, what, are you shitting me? These guys just did this mission. This is way after we all got back. But I thought that was, you know, Bronze Star was a, you know, to me is a very, very beautiful and wonderful award. They later passed them out like candy, okay? Like in Desert Storm Shield, you just had to be there and you got a Bronze Star for the most part. Cross the line of departure, there's your Bronze Star. Thank you very much. But I got three guys who infiltrate across, you know, enemy lines, behind enemy lines, and and do all this great stuff for their country and denied. <laughs> I'm not a bitter about it, but I, I just thought they, I thought they deserved it anyway. Um, so, you know, we get done with that mission 
and I'm told I'm telling war stories now. I get I'm gonna run on here, but I'm gonna I'll tell another war story. So uh, I get change of mission. I get detached from the airborne battalion that I just helped, uh, you know, seize Fort Amador with, and I'm told that I need to go to Fort Clayton with my entire team scout and link up with a captain who's going to give me my marching orders when I get there at the gate. We're out of ammunition. We've shot our entire basic load. So we got to go get rearmed and refitted. We stopped by the ammo depot. You know, we'd shot all our 50 cal. We shot all our AT4s. You know, guys were, you know, bingo on ammo pretty much. And so we had to, um, you know, go get resupplied. So we go to the, you know, resupply, get, get everybody uploaded. And then we head to Fort Clayton and, and we get there. And sure enough, you know, at the gate, you know, is this, this captain in this Humvee. And here I am with, you know, these, this entourage, this, this war machine behind me that's been up for a couple of days now. And, um, you know, just as frosty as they get, nobody slept, not a wink, you know. And um, so this captain, I don't remember his name, he's like, okay, follow me. You know, he takes off in his Humvee. And now Fort Clayton is, is basically where we were anyway, Fort Clayton was a a a place where the headquarters for the i think the 93rd you know uh infantry brigade was uh, or maybe i got that nomenclature wrong but the colonel was in charge of the brigade was schnell i'll never forget him and he was a vietnam veteran as well and colonel schnell was uh Oh, he was hard like woodpecker lips, man i mean this guy he looked like he just stepped out of apocalypse now and i'm not kidding I'll get back to him in a second. But um, so anyway, so I get to my marching orders from this this lieutenant and he's like, okay, follow me. So we go down this row and there's some pretty big fancy, you know, officer like officer quarters off to my my right and off to the left on this road is nothing but a little. It looks like, a you know, a green patch of grass and then jungle. And then the train slopes straight down into this, you know, sort of a crevasse, I don't want to say it a crevasse, but a pretty steep hill. And there's street lights. And this is like a bazillion, in, in my mind, it's like a bazillion miles. What's all bizarre stuff is in combat? And I'm just coming out of the goo, you know, shot my whole basic load, you know. And, uh, you know, thank thank God nobody in my platoon got hurt. Not yet, anyway. Um, and so, so you know, just happy to be alive. And, and, and now here I am at Fort Clayton, you know, which seems like it might as well be planet Uranus, you know. <laughs> Because it's it's calm. There's lights. There's houses. You know, and and I knew that this was in the in 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 the road we were on is called Colonel's Row. It's where all the big shots, the colonels lived when that they were stationed there. And I'm like scratching my head, like, what in the hell are we doing here, man? I just don't get it. You know, I just you know, I just okay. So I, the captain says, okay, here's your here's your here's your mission. Um, Intel reports that a dignity battalion of bad guys is coming, you know, to attack Fort Clayton from this direction. He points out towards the jungle and he says, uh, your job is to uh, prevent that from happening. And I go, all right, sir. And I'm looking around, you know, and I and, and the first thing I said, and I'm giving him a quick back back brief on what my plan is. I said, well. I said, the first thing I'm going to do, sir, just so you know, is I'm going to shoot these lights out. Goes, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that. I go, I can't shoot the lights out. He goes, nope, can't do that. And I go, okay. 
Well, then I'm going to take my tracks and I'm going to pull them back behind the, the you know these homes back here and get them in a hull defilade position. No, 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 no. You can't can't drive on the grass. He says. <laughs> I go. All right, sir. Anything else? He's like, uh, nope. That's it. So he disappears like smoke. As soon as he's gone, I, I go. I go to one of the guys. I go shoot those lights out. <laughs> So you shoot the street lights out because you know it's a massive advantage. You know, if you're, we had night vision devices. They weren't, they weren't, you know, anywhere near as good as they are today, but we had them, and that gave us an advantage or perceived advantage over the enemy. And and if you know our position is given away by street lights, bad things are going to happen. So we shoot the street lights out, and then we do exactly what he said not to do, which is to you know drive on the grass and put the tracks, you know, behind some of the, the you know the homes. So we you know, had a little bit of you know cover and maybe a little bit of you know uh, concealment um and then we sent um lpops out into the jungle and uh, i think three of them and uh, three uh, two or three man teams you know down out in front of our position to give us you know uh, early warning to 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 stave off this you know alleged attack that's coming to you know to colonel's row and by this, you know, PDF Dignity Battalion. And so, um, you know, we're doing that. You know, we got the, we got the, uh, uh, we got the, the, the LPOPs, the listening post observation posts out there. Three of them, you know, scattered about, a, you know, maybe a, you know, a, a three or four hundred meter front out into the jungle. And this is the first time the guys have been like at night in the jungle in combat. We spent a lot of time in the jungle at night, but not in combat. Um, and so this is the first time that, you know, they've, they've been up for two or three days now. And uh, we're sending these teams out there to, you know, give us early warning. And all of a sudden, I hear a shot go off. And I'm like, what in the what is that like an accidental discharge well it turns out one of the dudes who was you know coming back from a lpop position to be changed out i guess we were rotating guys out shot himself in the foot uh-huh you know i mean can you imagine being scared enough you know to shoot yourself to get out of something you know and i i, I don't know that's exactly what happened but that's what that's what i heard he wasn't you know wasn't my guy well he was because he was in, under my charge but he was part of the the tow platoon that was attached to me but nonetheless you know that's what happened so we get him out of there and we get the op ops back out there established and you know it's the middle of the night it's darker than three feet up a bull's butt and and um all of a sudden i hear uh I hear one of the LPOPs, you know, back, back, back to me, you know, and I can't remember what my call sign was, but it's like, uh, you know, all of a sudden I hear over the radio, I've got movement from my left to my right. Do I have permission to engage? Over. And and this is this is me, Lieutenant McDaniel, like, you know, eyeballs, you know, peeled back in my head. I'm like, okay, this is the attack, you know, but here, here I'm being asked permission okay from my guys out there in the jungle into my front by maybe two or three hundred meters now now mind you in my array i've got three itvs by the way those are helicopters flying over you can hear them right now i'm at i'm at mcdill gotta love it taps is gonna play ps by the way in about 30 minutes i hope to catch that at nine o'clock p.m 2100 for you sports fans but anyway i digress so um you can hear that UH-60, Black Hawk helicopter. Gotta love it. Okay, so 
Anyway, um, you know, I, I've got movement from my left to my right. Do I have permission to engage? Over. And, I, and I'm like, okay, let me just check with... I'm thinking to myself, I better check real quick with headquarters to make sure I got no friendlies to my front. So I get on a radio... I call up to higher headquarters and I go, okay, I need, I need a, you know, basically paraphrasing, but I need a no bullshit answer. Do I have any friendlies to my front? And I give them a direction, you know, grid coordinate, yada, yada, yada. And they're like, uh, stand by, you know, and headquarters are just notorious for being screwed up and taking way too much time. And it finally comes back, you know, by this time, the other, one of the other LPOPs is saying, I've got movement from my left to my right. I can identify I can identify permission to engage. And I'm like, stand by. You know, hey, headquarters, I need an answer here, you know, on the other net. Finally, not, you don't have, the answer comes back, you, don't, you have no friendlies downrange. Okay, so you're cleared hot. So I, I say over the radio, I go, if you perceive there to be a threat and you have a, you know, positive identification on enemy forces, you know, you have permission to engage. All of a sudden, the whole thing just poof. I got green tracers flying over my head. The 50 cows behind me are like, the jungle's falling apart in front of me, literally falling apart. You know, dudes are just mowing down the jungle with 50 caliber machine guns, and I can hear the LPOPs breaking, breaking contact, trying to get back to the tracks because they're in a full-blown, you know, firefight. They, they don't have the, the firepower that they need. That's not their job. They did their job. They, they, they gave us early warning, and they're beating feet back to the tracks, and I got to shut this thing off. Now, I just tell you, okay, as a guy that's, you know, was in charge and been there and done that, um, in that scenario, um, I, I just, I just got to tell you that, that I, and I felt the same way when I later went to the, you know, to the Rangers and that's, you know, one of your jobs as a leader in that position is to, 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 you know, basically control the chaos, you know, turn it on, turn it off, you know, turn it up, turn it down, you know, control the chaos, you know, and, and, and the violence of action. You know, that's really, you know, and lead from the front, right? I mean, there's lots of things you do, but, the, you know, that's the one thing I'm like, you know, I got guys in front of me, these 50 caliber machine guns, all six of them are opening up at one time. The jungle's literally falling apart in pieces in front of us, and I got these guys breaking contact to get back because I'm on, we're, in a, we're in a firefight. So, anyway, anybody who was thinking, had a, had a, a momentary thought that they were going to come in our direction was in for a big surprise. <laughs> you know, so so uh, I get the guys back, okay, and uh, get things settled down, and and we thwart this in the, you know this attack, and um, so another mad minute, you know, and and all of a sudden coming out of nowhere, I see this Humvee with all these antennas on it. When you when when you when you see a Humvee with a lot of an, antennas on it, or a, a military vehicle with a lot of antennas, chances are it's somebody kind of important, you know. And um, and it turns out that this was Colonel Schnell, the brigade commander, who'd been sitting in his you know headquarters, you know maybe a quarter mile from when this action happens, right? And um, and he says, um, you know, he pulls up in his Humvee. He looks up at me and he goes, uh, Lieutenant, drop your ramp. And you know, so the M the M one one three, the armored personnel carriers all have a ramp in the back, and that's how you get the troops in and out of it. So he dropped this hydraulic ramp. <laughs> And, and you know, and 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 I cl climb out of the back there, and there he is. And he gets out of his Humvee, and he tells me, he says, uh, I, "I want you to go get all your LPOPs and and bring them in here." I say, "Yes, sir." 
And so uh, I call you down the radio, give me all the LPOPs that were in this firefight and assemble on my track. So they, they assemble on my track. And there's the colonel, and he's got a sawed-off shotgun. It's a personal weapon. <laughs> like, you can't make it up, you know. The, the guy was just as cool. He's smoking cigarettes, you know, smoking Marlboros, and he's got this uh, sawed-off shotgun leaning across his lap, and he's laying there, you know, in this Burt Reynolds pose with all his LBV on, you know, and his, and his uh, you know, his PC cock back on his head, or maybe he had a cape, or his cape on, I don't remember. But, you know, there he is, laying there on the ground, got all the LPs around. But, you know, he's, he, you know he has, he's maintaining high military bearing, but he wanted to project, you know, this, you know, sense of calm and normalcy. And, it, you know, it was brilliant. I thought it was just brilliant. You know, with his sawed-off shotgun, you know, laying across his, you know, diagonally across his body. You know, muscle pointed to the, to the terrain. And he goes to every single one of the OP, LPOPs. What would you see? Yeah, what'd you see? He goes to the next day. What'd you see? Okay, and every one of the guys, I think there was probably you know six to eight of them there um, that were part of that that firefight, and they're all telling them exactly what they saw, what they heard, and he's getting the back brief straight from the dudes that saw it. And he goes, okay, all right, you're dismissed. Go back to your uh, go back to your squads. And then he pulls me aside. Colonel Snell pulls me aside, and he goes. Oh, before he told before before he let the guys go, he goes, "When the sun comes up, we're going to go out there, and I'll go with you. We'll go look for blood trails." That's what he said. When the sun comes up, we'll go out there and look for blood trails. And everybody's like, "Who is sir?" And they, and he goes, "You can go back to your squad." So he leaves. Everybody leaves, and Colonel Snell looks at me and he says, "You send those guys right back out there. The same guys. I want you to send them right back out there." There she goes. They're scared shitless. And they'll never be the same unless you send them right back out there. I said, yes, sir. And he gets in his Humvee and he drives away. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I wouldn't have thought of that. I would not have thought of that. And I would not have done that. Okay. And I, and I had to check my, had to check my, you know, check my hold card on that one. So I pull all the guys back to my track. I say, assemble back on me. And I, and I look them all in the eye and I go, you're going right back out there. And you should have seen the looks I got. Like, yeah, are you smoking crack, sir? Like, <laughs> I'm not going back out there. And I go, you know, I'm like, you know, nobody said that, but that's the look I got. I'm like, yeah, you're you're all going right back out there. I said, now listen, I'm not going to leave you there long, okay? Thirty minutes, and I'm going to rotate you out. But I want you all to go back to the same positions, okay? Roger that. Yes, sir. You know, and they trotted back off out there. And, um, you know, that's uh, that may have been when the guy shot himself in the foot. I can't remember. It's a long time ago. This is 1989. Uh, That's the first time I'm thinking about or telling the story since then. So bear with me. But anyway, so they go back out there and and um, and then I rotate them out. and, And before the sun comes up, I get change of mission. You know, this is my battalion commander, you know, giving me a new mission. I need you to come down to La Commandancia. La Commandancia, by the way, is where, you know, the PDF headquarters was, where, you know, the the main force of the 4-6 battalion was there supporting um, the special operations dudes, uh, you know, I think we can say Delta Force there, uh, who was, uh, you know, Russ, who did a, uh, an amazing job rescuing Kurt Muse out of the Carson Modelo prison, and uh, was an American citizen that had been held captive. They got Kurt Muse out of there, um, Delta Force did, and 4-6 uh, Infantry was, uh, you know, there as the, uh, the force that... Uh, uh, cordoned 
the, and assaulted the, the uh, PDF headquarters. So I'm called, my platoon's called down there. Um, and I guess we're on day, you know, I don't know, is it three or four at this point, I guess. Um, and so we go down to the commandancy and I, um, get, uh, you know, a series of, uh, of, of additional missions from there. And, um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, go too much further into, you know, the rest of, of, of what happened. But at, at the end of the day, uh, this is what I want, this is what I guess I wanted to tell you because it sets up the next chapter, um, which is, you know, Ranger McDaniel going to the Ranger Regiment. So I'll tell this last story. Um, so I'll fast forward a couple of weeks now, okay, in Panama, still in combat, okay, and we're running all kinds of missions. Uh, remind me to tell you the alligator story sometime because that's, that's hilarious. But um, and maybe I'll squeeze that in towards the end. But um, at the end of the day, so this is what happens. I'm, um, I had a drink of water there. So I'm, uh, I, I get word over the radio. Um, Taps is playing in 15 minutes. And I'll open up the Airstream door when it plays out there. I hope you can hear it when it plays. But I love being here when they play Taps. Every night at uh, 2100, that's 9 p.m. sports fans, uh, on military bases across America and the world today, they play Taps. And that's to recognize, uh, you know, the fallen in honor of them, you know, it's the, it signifies also the end of the duty day, believe it or not, nine o'clock. Think about that. So anyway, um, I get over, I get a word over the radio a couple, three weeks into it that they, that they, you know, we've been chasing Noriega all over the peninsula, you know, of Panama, the countryside, trying to run this, this guy down. Well, we got, I get word that he's, they got him, but they, he's in a church in the papal nuncio. And so I'm like, well, I'm the scout platoon leader. Guess where I'm going? I'm going to, I'm going downtown, you know. So I take a small contingent, um, and I go downtown, um, and and I, uh, I link up with uh, some of our, our our guys who are down there supporting those guys, and um, and the special operations guys. There's like a party going on. They got the psyops guys playing rock and roll at decibels that would hurt your ears because they know that Noriega, who's in the church with the priest, the Catholic priest, they know that he's in there and he hates rock and roll. So they're playing Motley Crue and, and Queensryche and, you know, all this, you know, rock and roll. And, and, and they got it over the loudspeakers. It's like a scene out of, out of Apocalypse Now, man. It's unbelievable. And everybody's kind of in a very joyous, you know, mood because... We know that the end is near. We got we got the pineapple face, you know, Noriega's in the church, you know, and he ain't going nowhere because we, we got him surrounded. So, you know, we're very happy about this. And and so um, I, I'm sitting there chatting with somebody, and all of a sudden these two lieutenant colonels walk by, and their name tapes are taped over with 100-mile-an-hour tape. So they got sterile uniforms. They got their ranks, master parachutist wings on and um and uh you know they you can't tell what their names are because they got tape over them and they got equipment that i've never seen before hanging off them i'm like that's got to be delta it's got to be those guys so they walk by me and i go <clears throat> excuse me uh gentlemen <laughs> not remind you 
<laughs> I'm a lieutenant, man, and I've been at bit we've been in the goo. I mean, I think I still got camouflage on. I got my uh, M203, you know, locked and loaded with a, you know, a, a 203, you know, 203, you know, grenade launcher on it and my Remington Rand, you know, 45 caliber strapped to my chest. <laughs> and uh and I got I got excuse me, gentlemen, they turn around and look at me. Like, <laughs> who are you and what do you want, Lieutenant? And I go, um, I just want to let you know I'm interested in your organization. And I go, hmm, okay. One of them looks at me and he, you know, they're sizing me up and he goes, tell you what, um, we're going to go across the street there and get the old man a Frosty and we'll be right back. Uh, when we do, you'd be standing right here. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> now, mind you, we've been in Panama for three weeks fighting. And we finally got Noriega holed up. And these two, I think they're Delta Force operators. I don't really know. Um, and I walk by me. I flag them down and tell them I'm interested in their organization. And they tell me they're going to go across the street to the Dairy Queen, which is, you know, by the way, everything in Panama shut down because there's a you know, little invasion happening. So they, they, they pick the lock and they get into the Dairy Queen and they fire up the Frosty machine and they come back with three Mega Frosties. And one of them gives me the head nod. You know, they're gone for about 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how the hell they fired it up, but you know, you got to just love this, right? So they kind of like gave me the head nod, like, follow me. And uh, so I follow them, and they go into the, I think it was the Sheridan, you know, downtown in Panama City. You know, the fanciest hotel has been taken over by JSOC, the Joint Special Operations Command, the two-star command that's got, you know, all the scary dudes attached to them to include the Ranger Regiment, okay? And um, and and they head nod me, and I go through security, and there's Dolph Lundgren-looking dudes, you know, you know, with car, you know, 15s and all kinds of sexy stuff through this passage, that passage, and finally they take me into this room. Now it's a hotel. They've taken over the hotel. It's like a five-star hotel. They've, they've just commandeered it. And um, so we we get there, and, and and they get to this room. They open up this door, and it's this this sitting room. It's just very very fancy. It's got a high back, couple of high back leather chairs in it, and it's a sunken, like sitting or meeting room. It's sunken down. You got to go down three steps to get there, but it's and it's cool. It's got red carpeting, and I mean, just remember it like wow, this is a cool little room. They put me in that room, and they and one of them says to me, "We're gonna go get the old man. Stand by." And I and I swear to God. I have no idea who they're talking about. I have no clue who's about to walk through this door. You know, I just have gotten myself into something, which is typical, that I'm, like, unsure of what's going to happen. But uh, about 15, 20 minutes go by, and in walks this this gentleman in BDUs uh, who looks old enough to be my dad. And, and and he's in stature. He's not, you know, he's not a he's not a big man. Um, he looks like a he looks like a you know like a high school wrestler sort of. Uh, gray hair, you know, chiseled, you know, out of granite features. Um, and and uh, you know, walks down the three steps, sits on the second step. I'm sitting in a chair, and he's looking at me, staring at me. He's got two stars, two stars on his on his uniform, and and, and his name tape says Downing. And for those of you that know it or listen to this, you know it's it's Wayne A. Downing, the Wad, aka the Wad. It's the guy in charge of JSOC, and uh, you know just a f- infamous man. And I didn't know him from a hole in the wall at the time, you know. <laughs> and he, he looks right at me and he goes, 
so you want to be a ranger? I go, yes, sir. He goes, tell me why. And I go, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, serve my country, sir. <laughs> I don't know what I said. And he goes, okay, so where are you from? I said, Wisconsin, sir. He goes, you like to hunt and fish? I go, absolutely. So we spend like 15 or 20 minutes talking about hunting and fishing in Wisconsin. He looks at his watch and he goes, in in five minutes, my helicopter is going to be sitting in that parking lot. He points over to the parking lot through the window. He says, in five minutes, my helicopter is going to be set down right there. He goes, I'm going to get you on that helicopter. I'm going to fly you to go see Buck Kernan. I said, yes, sir. He gets up and he walks out. And I'm like thinking to myself, who was that and who is Buck Kernan? I'm like, oh, my God, I have no idea what's going on here, but I'm going to get on this helicopter. I look at my watch, five minutes mark. UH-60, setting down in the parking lot, time now. I go out there, I get on this helicopter, you know, they whisk me across the peninsula, set me down in a, in a field. As soon as the helicopter hits the ground, about a 10-minute flight, as soon as the helicopter hits the ground, I see this black man, you know, in uniform running towards the helicopter, you know, in a crouched position to not get hit by the spinning blades. I get off the helicopter, he shakes my hand, follow me, ranger! Turns out it's it's Dorian Anderson. He's a major at the time, ends up being a two-star general, West Point officer, great American, just a, a great American. We get, gets me into this 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 Quonset hut of some sort, interviews me, and asks me some questions about the mission essential task list and this, that, and the other thing. And I, you know, I'm just doing my best, and I'm getting some good feedback. He goes, I'm going to go get I'm going to go get the old man. Yeah, you'll be all right. So. You know, about two minutes later, you know, in comes walking, you know, Buck Kernan, the Ranger Regimental Headquarters Commander, the guy in charge of the regiment. I'm meeting the regimental commander. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, hey, how you doing? Jump, blah, 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 you know, humma, humma. You know, ask me a few questions, and, you know, and Dorian Anderson sitting right there listening to the whole thing. And um, and, and Buck Kernan, you know, all right, all right, Ranger. And, and he leaves, you know, it was kind of like that, a hand, hand gesture. Doran Anderson looks at me and he winks and he goes, I think you got yourself a job there, Ranger. And I said, who, sir? So that, that I, I, they fly me back to my to where my Humvee was, been the Papal Nuncia. I get on my Humvee and the back of my Humvee, I go link up with my unit. And uh, a couple of days go by and I go to the headquarters and, and, I, and I remember meeting Captain Ken Long, my boss, my, my company commander, who had been in the Rangers. And everybody to this point had told me, you're never going to make it. You're not going to make it to the Ranger Regiment. You're you're a lieutenant. You're a senior lieutenant. Um, you come from a mechanized unit. Um, you know you made it through Ranger School by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> you're never going to make it to the Ranger Regiment. Well, guess what? I did. Two weeks later, a request for orders pops pops at the battalion. Ranger McDaniel, you will report to the 75th Ranger Regiment. <laughs> How about them? You like apples? <laughs> How about them apples? You know, and so, honest to God, you know, I got assigned to the Ranger Regiment, which is where I really wanted to be in the first place. But it took this journey, you know, the, to get me to that particular point. And I won't, you know, well, I won't talk a lot about the Rangers, because that's, Rangers don't talk about, you know, all, all, you know I'm not talking about anything operational there, because that's not what Rangers do. You know, what I did with who I did it, none of that. It's not going to happen. We're not talking about that. But, I, you know, I will tell you that, 
you know, when I got there and made it through the, the Ranger orientation program and, and was, you know, wearing a black beret for the first time, assigned to Charlie Company 375 Rangers. My boss was a, a guy by the name of Captain Steve Townsend, who ascended to, to four stars and the greatest leader I, I ever worked for. Uh, you know, he and Colonel Steiger, the two top uh, officers I ever had the privilege to serve uh, for and with. Um, and it was just an amazing experience for me. Absolutely, every day you have to bring your best. Um, you're wondering, you know, half the time if you're really good enough to be there. Um, the NCO Corps is phenomenal. Um, and, and, you know, the best of the best go there. And, and every single day you hump it in, uh, you know, to, to work behind the green fence. And, uh, and and you you have to bring your A game. There's no there's no such thing as a B game in that space. There's no such thing as a bad day in that space. Or you, we're not going to be there, you know, very long. The black chinook comes and you go bye bye, <laughs> you know. Um, and it, it was just amazing. And so here's the life hack, right? Like again, you're going to be told. People are told all the time you can't do this, you can't do that. That's impossible. They don't take guys like you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Bull hockey, okay? I mean, if you want something bad enough, you go get it, okay? And you got to take risk, right? you got to take risk. And I go back to that one point, uh, excuse me, gentlemen, you know, and, and two, two Lieutenant Colonel Delta Force dudes turn around like, who's this guy? You know, if you don't take that, that, that chance, that opportunity, when it presents itself, Another helicopter flying over. Gotta love it. But that's the moral of the story. You know, hang it out there. Don't be afraid. You know, what's the worst thing they're going to do? Tell you no? Everybody didn't tell me no anyway. You know, when I told Ken Long, went back and told him, I said, hey, sir, I think I got hired by the Rangers. He's like, what? I told him the story. He's like, you did that? I go, yes, sir. He's like, <laughs> he's shaking his head like, you're an incredible scout. And I'm like, eh, I know, hey. Another day in the army, sir. But that's the whole thing, right? You got you create your own destiny, all right? That don't don't let life play you. You play it, all right? Take take a stance. Go for what you're at. Go for what you want and, and need to be. That's the thing. Whatever that is, you know, set your sights on it. Set the bar high and just absolutely, you know, refuse to fail. And and don't take no for an answer. That's you know I think that's the that's the lesson here. So you know that takes us all the way on your score sheet, okay? Um, you know to uh, to to uh, the Charlie Comfy three seven five Rangers. That's number ten on my list. The twenty. So we're about halfway through this thing, and in four minutes, okay? In four minutes, Taps is going to play. So I'm going to hang out here. And tell you another quick little um, story. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a ranger story. Um, you know, and 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 this one, uh, this one has to do with. Let me think. Oh, standards. Okay. So you know, here's a guy, me, get assigned to Charlie Company 375 Rangers, coming from a mech unit. I got my CIB combat instruments badge. You know, I got all the right stuff. Uh, you know, but I got a diamond now on my right shoulder, my combat patch. And so I'm kind of an outsider. You know, even in the Rangers. You know, who's this guy, right? And so you know, they make me the the weapons, you know, platoon leader. And the first time I get to link up with my company, they're already in the field, which is where Rangers spend their time. You know. And very little time in garrison. Most of the times on mission or out in the field training, smelling cordate, you know, firing weapons and, and practicing the art of being a ranger. 
And so I link up with these guys in the field, and they're doing roadblock drills. And the CO, Captain Townsend, is like, a, a lieutenant, and I assure he goes, why don't you do a, just observe, and then uh, when we get done with this drill, since you were mechanized, and we're going to have jeeps and bikes involved here and doing our thing, um, we're going to do a little roadblock action uh, for an upcoming mission. Um, and why don't you observe, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have you chat about it uh, afterwards. I said, okay, roger that, sir. So they go about, you know, dust, shooting dust clouds and bullets are flying everywhere, and the ranger, you know, doing this, this mocked-up mission. And... Um, the dust settles, and they, they're going to do their hot wash after action review. CO says a few words, and he turn, turns to me. Now, that's a whole company of rangers in a circle now talking about, you know, what we just did and, and how to make it better and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he turns to me, he says, uh, all right, Lieutenant, what would you think? And I go, um, well, sir, uh, what's the standard? You know, I mean, the standard for this, this drill we just did. And there's this long pause because they didn't have a standard. You know, they'd never, they never, rangers don't do roadblocks. I mean, they, they just never, they, we had a mission where it called for one, but it's not in the RSOP, the RSOP, the SOP, or anything like that. It's just, you know, we were something they were practicing because they thought we, had, we were going to have to go do something like that as part of an, a larger mission set. And, and we didn't have an SOP for it. And, and I, I, I didn't know that. I mean, I wasn't trying to play stump the chump or anything. I just wanted to know what the standard was because I could then speak about how we performed based on an established standard. And um, it turns out there wasn't a standard. So, I, you know, I, I'll tell you the reason I mention that is because, like, in, in, in the military or in life or in your work, whatever it is, you ought to ask yourself that question a lot. What's the standard? Okay. And, and and if there isn't a standard for what you're attempting to perform or just performed, then you should create a standard. Okay, you know you should understand what the task is, you know what the purpose of the task is, and what the standard is. Like how do we know when we did good? You know you have to have something to measure your performance by. No matter whether it's you know flipping a burger at McDonald's or you know taking down a complex you know target in a non-permissive environment. You know, you got to know what the standard is. And if there isn't one, guess what? You got to create it. So that's the sidebar, you know, in the Rangers. I learned so many lessons from those great Americans. Um, I, I genuinely did. And I would have to say that it was a highlight of my career. And the last thing I'll tell you is what, uh, you know, Steve Towns and General Towns had said to me when he was a captain and I was leaving the, the, the regiment. Um, I'd been promoted to captain and I had to move on. And, uh, he said to me, you know, you're going to measure everything you do in life, you know, by what happened here. And I, and at the time I didn't, I didn't think a whole lot about that. I, I, I probably said something like, who is sir, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, moved out. But, um, you know, he's absolutely right. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're in a unit that, uh, or an organization that's that tight, um, and it's wired that tight and got that kind of talent, uh, on, a, on a mission that, uh, with a mission that's you know as important, and I guess as dangerous as as those those missions are, um, you know it it can't help but uh, you know change your life and change it forever. And I talk to a lot of Rangers who've been in the regiment, and uh, and when I have an occasion to tell that story, I, I you know they're all kind of you know doing the the north south you know head nod that yeah absolutely um, that that is true about the regiment. So. Um, anyway, thought I would uh, share that uh, the the next the next thing on the list here 
Now, now, just to kind of set the the the, the stage here, time is now you know in time and space. We're we're gonna we're fast. We've just fast forwarded to 1991. Okay, so I get in the army in in on active duty in '87. You know, it's I, I leave in the Rangers, uh, promoted to captain. Uh, you know, in 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 19 you know 91 time frame, and so I've got a little bit of time. You know, before I end off end up going to you know what they call the uh, the officer advanced course there back at you know at Fort Benning. So um, that's where we are in time and space. And um, you know, what I'll do is take a little break here, and we'll go into the 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 next phase of my career, the Ranger Training Brigade. Where uh, Johnny Mac becomes a uh, an executive officer, an XO in a unit, and uh, an S4 in a you know all um, you know in a Ranger training battalion uh, where they uh, train Rangers right there at uh, Fort Benning. So that'll be the next uh, segment. All right, little Reveille, in case you're still in bed. Okay, <laughs> that's just a great way to start your day, isn't it? Um, hey, we're back at it here. I just wanted to, you know, do a couple of special features. So this this fits into the, you know, in case you're still with us, into this, you know, special features category. You know, these are stories, uh, true stories about uh, my military experience that I thought, you know, you might find interesting. Um. And so this one's uh, called uh, Alligators and Beer. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, you're, I think you're going to enjoy this. I, I, I hope you do. Um, it's, uh, it's a true story, like I said. This actually happened. It was some time ago. I was in, uh, this is what we were, I was, uh, I was a lieutenant. So that, you know, the time frame is 1989, 1990. Some, sometime, you know, late 89, maybe, probably, you know, probably early 19, I'm guessing, you know, if I had to put a precise, you know, month, year on it, I'd have to say January of 90 time frame, I'm thinking. Anyway, so my I've been deployed <clears throat> with my unit. I'm the scout platoon leader for the 4-6 Infantry, 5th ID in Panama, and combat actions for the most part at this point are over, okay? I mean, there's still some things going on. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's actually, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, as hot as it once was in terms of the, you know, combat activity. I think Noriega, we got him by this time. So, you know, we're really just kind of winding things down as I recall. And I have to go back to the time that we, uh, <clears throat> that we, um, um, deployed, um, because, uh, you know, our battalion commander, a guy by the name of, uh, Bill Steiger, who uh, commanded the battalion, um, you know, up until, you know, just about the time we went hot in terms, you know, of combat action. And uh, Colonel Steiger was a great guy. He, he created this, you know, we here we were in this, in the jungle, okay, and we had this compound that we had built, had sandbags, you know, about, about you know, chest high, all the way around this monster perimeter, cut a, pl cut a spot out of the jungle, like I said, I think in the, uh, 
in, in the Panama bit, you know, it was, you know, it was a base camp right out of, you know, Vietnam style and, uh, you know, a serpentine driveway that ran up to it with a big gate guard and, a, you know, reinforced bunkers and concertina wire. And this is where the battalion, um, you know, pretty much had its headquarters. And for guys like me, I, we would have to go back. My unit would have to go back to the headquarters to get refit, you know, do certain level of maintenance on the M113s and uh, rotate out of the, you know, out of the field or out of the jungle, you know, depending on what we were doing, and go back to this headquarters, uh, you know, base camp called Camp Gator. So we called it. And Gators are, are the, the Gator was an interesting, um, you know, had an interesting affiliation with the 4-6 Infantry, 4th Battalion, 6th Infantry Regiment, because our unit crest the what we wore on our uniform our dress uniform had an alligator on it and the alligator symbolized the heroic service of the regiment in the seminal wars of 1812 so you know there was a ladder and there was all kinds of other little things on the unit crest uh, that identified uh, us as the fourth battalion six infantry uh, aligned with the regimental um you know, the regimental ways and, and, um, and affiliation. And this alligator was kind of important to us. Of course, we were, our, our base was, you know, there in Louisiana, uh, at Fort Polk. And, um, you know, and so anyway, we, uh, you know, alligators were kind of, you know, important to us. And, um, we, we, uh, the battalion commander, um, Colonel Steiger pulled all the officers into the swamp and the swamp was this ammunition, bunker okay that that we had uh, commandeered as the officers mess or the you know the officers club and you know it was a great place for you know we officers to go on occasion um when it was appropriate and uh, you know let your hair down a little bit and it was literally a concrete bunker okay you could barely stand up in the thing and um <clears throat> it was inside the wire so it was safe, and uh, we would watch movies in there occasionally or have an officer's meeting, um, and there was beer. You know, uh, God bless Bill Steiger. You know, I mean, he, he would allow the officers to, to drink beer and, um, you know, was uh, you know, the kind of thing that you were just, you know, you had to pay like a dollar for a beer or something, you know. And so, um, you know, you could have two, three beers and, you know, that was about what was happening, you know. And, and um, so anyway, Bill Steiger says to us, you know, hey, listen, um, you know, there's these Cayman alligators all over this country here in Panama. And um, the first officer who captures an alligator and brings it back here to the uh, headquarters, to the compound that was, again, cut out of the jungle, uh, gets to drink free beer in the officer's mess for a month. And, and it was just said like that. And, uh, you know, con this is before combat. OK, so we deployed. We're there. And and uh, and and Colonel Steiger makes this, you know, this declaration. And uh, I, I remember the lieutenants kind of looking around at each other like, OK, <laughs> that sounds that's interesting. And then combat happened right shortly thereafter. And, um, you know, I think everybody put this idea of getting, uh, you know, capturing an alligator on you know, uh, the back burner. Like, I mean, it wasn't on my mind, uh, honestly, I mean, because we were doing combat actions. And, um, but it was something that had registered with me. And I think one of the rules was you couldn't pay somebody like a local, t you know, couldn't get an alligator that way. Yeah, I actually had to capture it. So anyway, um, <clears throat> I remember at the time, my unit, the scout platoon, 
I believe we were, um, you know, we had taken over this, we had taken over a lot of things, you know, to get the guys, um, you know, get them some shelter and get something over their head. So everything from schools, gymnasiums, we, we, we had taken over a couple of school gymnasiums, like elementary school gymnasiums. Now, once we took over a church, um, you know, um, sort of thing, um, you know, respectfully. And, um, and, and so, you know, home was wherever you sort of, you know, found it occasionally. And I remember, I, I, I believe we're in this gymnasium and, um, word came through the Intel net that, um, there were alligators, uh, the, that the Macho de Monte. So the Macho de Monte was, uh, Noriega's special forces guys. And, and there was these three islands that were connected to Fort Amador. Um, they were called the Flamingo Islands. And there was a, three, a chain of three of these islands connected by a causeway. And on one of those islands were, were you know, the Macho de Monte. And of course, after combat, they were gone. We dealt with the Macho de Monte. Um, and these three islands uh, were, were essentially, um, you know, cordoned off. Uh, and cleared so there was no more enemy forces on there there was some infrastructure and i won't go too much into that that's a some interesting stories embedded in there but long story short is we i I had heard uh, that on one of these islands there was catch this alligators okay (laughs) and um and, and they were reported it was reported that these were you know alligators that the macho de monte had retained Okay, and and put, you know, in this, you know, had built some habitat for them and they were feeding them chickens and whatnot. And they were just like a symbol uh, of, you know, machoism, I presume. But anyway, um, you know, the Cayman alligators, a saltwater uh, alligator. And, um, you know, they get pretty big. They're nasty. And, and so uh, I, um, I sent one of my because sc- a, a scout contingent out to go confirm that. And they came back and they go. Yes, sir. There's alligators there. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I go to my platoon. Now, mind you, these are 19 Deltas for the most part. There's a couple of infantry guys in the unit, but these are scouts. Okay. They're trained sneak and peek guys, right? And they've all been in, and we just got through, you know, um, several combat actions. And now there's a bit of a respite in, in the action. And I send these guys out to go confirm that there's alligators and they come back. Yes, sir. There's alligators there. So, okay, cool. So I look at the platoon and I go, listen, I got a special mission for you guys. This is all volunteer. You don't have to do this. But if you want to come with me, you know, that'd be great. So let me see a show of hands of the guys that want to come with me and go capture a couple alligators. I, I think I said an alligator. And like five or six hands go up, like immediately. And they were all Cajuns, you know, that had been, that that had, that were from Louisiana and had some experience that were outdoor sportsmen. Um, and and, and uh, so I picked four of them and we took off with, you know, with our Humvee and to go t- to the Flamingo Islands. And sure enough, you know, right there on one side, you know, is the, you know, the, 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 the Atlantic and the other side's the Gulf and or the caribbean side and and that's where these islands are jutting out into this space into this beautiful panamanian space and on one of those islands sure enough is a, a large fence okay it was uh, you know kind of like a chain link fence and i would guess it would be you know uh, you know the circumference of uh, you know maybe 20 30 yards you know but they, there was habitat in there and and also Cayman alligators. I don't know. There must have been like a dozen of them in there of various size. 
uh, most of them which were, you know, six, eight footers, you know, in that range, which is a formidable critter. And they're little nasty dudes. And so <clears throat> we got, this is the equipment we had. We had the Humvee. I uh, had, you know, four, you know, scouts, um, all of whom were, you know, I, I believe, uh, you know, from Louisiana and myself, Lieutenant McDaniel. <laughs> and um, so we're kind of formulating this plan of how we're going to do this. So the idea comes up, well, hey, hey, why don't we lasso them? Okay. So we get this Army Green Line, you know, and, and it's a rappel rope. And we, we, fashion, um, we fashion a lasso. And we throw it over one of the alligators, <clears throat> and it, it took several attempts. Now, the alligators, mind you, at this time are not agitated. They're just like, you know, like out being alligators. There's some water there in the habitat, and uh, most of them are not really moving. They're fairly lethargic unless they get agitated or are interested in, in eating, then they can get, you know, they're fast, you know, and they think they're quick, but they're all just kind of, uh, you know, hanging out. All right. So lassoing one or getting a lasso over their head didn't seem like it was going to be real challenging. And as a matter of fact, it really wasn't. I don't know. We didn't spend very long, maybe two or three throws. And we finally got it over this, this one alligator's head. And then the idea was we'd have <clears throat> two guys on the end of the rope, you know, kind of cinch it down and, 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 you know, bring the alligator closer to the fence. And that's exactly what happened. And that was as far as our, our thinking was going at that point. We didn't have a plan. I'll tell you about the plan or what actually happened. Um, so the, uh, the, they lasso this gator, and it's a, probably a six to eight footer. I don't, I don't imagine. It was one of the bigger ones. And they lasso it, and, they, and the two guys <clears throat> pull it tight, and, and it comes you know, smash, smashing up against the fence, right? And so they got this, and the alligator immediately grabs the chain link fence with its teeth. Okay, bites it and then goes into this alligator death roll, you know, and starts twisting and teeth are flying out and then the, the chain link fence is getting just, you know, all gnarled up. And but he's not letting go of this fence. And now we're looking at each other like, OK, what now? And the other alligators now are like, OK, something's going on in, in Beantown and they start getting a little agitated and moving around. And uh <clears throat> You know, having been a wrestler, you know, a competitive uh, wrestler, I decide, well, I I best just get over this fence and, and I'll, I'll grab this alligator and I'll just do a grand amplitude throw. I'll grab him and just, you know, heave ho him over this fence, you know, with a grand souple and, um, you know, and he'll be over the fence and then we can deal with him. So that's what I did. I climbed the fence I got in and I grabbed the thing by, you know, by its thorax and I just whoosh, over the fence, man. And he hit the deck and he started heading right for the canal, the Panama Canal. And the guys, as soon as he hit the other side, you know, the guys just like scattered, you know, I think the dudes dropped the rope, you know, because there's this, you know, Cayman alligator that's now very upset, but he starts heading, you know, like immediately for the canal and like, we're going to lose him. And so one of the dudes, one of the guys, one of my scouts grabs him by the tail. Okay. Just goes right up to him, grabs him by the tail. Comes from behind, grabs by the tail, and starts moving him backwards, like you know, moving backwards deliberately, and and the alligator spreads all out, 
you know, because he can't do anything. You know, he's got his tail and he's, you know, essentially rendering him a little bit immobile. And another guy goes up to him and, gra- and steps on the back of his head. So you got two guys, one guy pulling him backwards. The other guy steps on the back of this alligator's neck. And a third guy just jumps on top of him. And the fourth guy wraps him up. You know, with 100-mile-an-hour tape around his mouth, and if you know anything about the alligators, their bite is, is like one of the most powerful bites in the world, but they, they don't have, and that's closing, but opening, they don't have, you know, that their their muscle structure and the way their, their, their jaws are designed, you know, is really difficult for them to open their mouth if there's any pressure put on it. Like you should put some tape around it or hold it with your hands, you know, as long as his mouth was shut or his jaws were shut, it wasn't opening. So that's what we did. We 100-mile-an-hour taped his mouth and then you know basically hogtied this thing and threw it in the back of a humvee and there's this mad minute and we're all standing around looking at each other of course i jumped back over the fence immediately after after i got this guy over the top and we're standing around looking at each other like feeling like a bazillion dollars like we had just you know accomplished a major feat and you know certain high fives maybe a little bit going on there and then um, we're looking at each other and we're like you want to go get another one they're like Yes, sir. <laughs> we went back and repeated the process and, and threw two alligators in the Humvees. And I think we had two Humvees with us. And uh, so we uh, we take from the Flamingo Islands, we head back. Now, I think it's getting dark. And by the time we get back to the base camp, it is dark. And so I roll into the compound with two alligators, we do, and, 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 and um, two alligators in the back of my Humvee. And um, so... Be, you know, like, what are you going to do now? You know, and so I grabbed the, the unit engineer and I said, uh, okay, he was a lieutenant. I said, Here, here's the deal. Uh, I got two alligators. He's like, what? I go, yeah. In the back of this Humvee, I got two alligators. He goes, look, he's holy shit. I'm like, yeah, that's right. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the backhoe or whatever you got. I need you to dig a big pit right here in the compound in the shape of a diamond so leave the center because that diamond is the fifth infantry division patch right so you leave them a you, you make this thing in the shape of a diamond and you excavate all around it we fill it full of water put a fence around it bushakala we got a you know we got a gator pen pen and sure enough that's what they did and uh, so that's the alligator story and i ended up you know drinking beer for uh you know for a month for free at some point i guess i can't remember like how I cashed that in, but I'm sure that I did. I actually think I snuck some beers out for the boys too, you know, I mean, get, get, get them involved in the, you know, in the, in the, in the spoils of war, if you will. But anyway, I I thought maybe you'd find that interesting alligators and beer. And, and funny thing is there's a Facebook page out there, uh, for, for, uh, my old battalion. And, um, somebody hung a picture uh, not long ago of this monster alligator and said that it was, you know, that they remembered, <clears throat> of course, he had grown considerably um, over the years. Um, and, and, you know, it's been, I don't know, it's been 20 years or so, you know, since then, maybe even 30, actually, you know, probably more like 30 years for God's sakes. Anyway, um, you know, there's somebody hung a picture of this alligator saying it was one of the alligators uh, modern day. It was still there or, you know, had been, you know, cat, you know, imaged. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, so that's my story. Alligators and beer. Hope you enjoyed that special feature. Thanks. To learn more about the mission of the Wounded Warriors in Action Foundation and how you can get involved, please visit our website at www.iaf.org 
or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the WWIA podcast and for helping us honor, connect, and heal our combat-wounded Purple Heart heroes through the power of the great outdoors. If you like what you're listening to here and would like to join our team in our mission to bring healing power and recovery to America's Purple Heart heroes, please become part of our Sponsor a Hero team by clicking on the link in the podcast notes or by going to wwiaf.org forward slash sponsor. That's wwiaf.org forward slash sponsor. Our heroes need you now more than ever. Thank you.